welcome to the Beyond Birth podcast. Join us each week as we take the conversation of motherhood beyond birth. I'm your co-host, Liz Winters, a nutritional therapy practitioner, certified pre- and postnatal coach, BirthFit regional director, and mama. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Jenny Anderson, mama, doula, and fellow BirthFit regional director. Our hope is to inspire, educate, and empower women as they navigate pregnancy, postpartum, and parenthood with evidence-based guidance, informative interviews, and entertaining anecdotes from our perspectives as moms, entrepreneurs, and birth professionals. While you're listening, please keep in mind that the information on this podcast is for general purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's dive in. Hey, Beyond Birth listeners, Liz here. Um, I just want to give fair warning before we dive into today's, into today's episode that um, our conversation today uh, is centered around loss. Um, Jenny is being so gracious as to share her loss story today and the birth of their, um, their son, Jack. Um, so <clears throat> we're going to be discussing really tough topics around um abortion and fetal loss and pregnancy loss. And so if that is triggering for you um, or for anyone you may be listening with, then it may be a good idea to come back to this episode at another time. Um, But I hope you enjoy and I hope you find it um, helpful, healing, enlightening, empowering, all of those words or some aspect. And again, we just really appreciate your support. So without further ado, we're going to get into today's episode. Like, I kind of want to laugh and I kind of want to just like totally cry. I'm like, right. so scared, but like I've told the story, but it just feels different to know that I'm going to go into it like super, super everything. You know, usually like you just tell little bits of it. Right. Yeah. Well, this is your space. I mean, and I'm here to hold it for you, right? You're awesome, right? We're here to hold it for each other. I know. As I'm like trying to do like, I'm trying to like think about like how this is affecting you and. But I mean, like, like we said, loss impacts. Everyone's loss story is different. Just Mm -hmm. like everyone's birth story is different. Right? Is that fair? Totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, so it's and I would never be at- sharing this, like, if I didn't think, it's not about whether or not you're strong enough to hear it, it's about whether you, I trust, I trust you in your own ability to set your own self-love and self, like, um, care guidelines, you know? Yeah. So I would never kind of, like, just, if somebody else had a loss, like, I, it's just not something you go, oh, I had a loss too, let me tell you everything. <laughs> Whoa, wait a second, like, you have to kind of know first whether they're capable of of holding that. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of it not just totally hitting them like a tidal wave. Right. Right. Oh, I expect to be hit kind of like a tidal wave to be perfectly <laughs> honest. <laughs> but, um, I think that's part of, 
like that's part of our relationship and and it's also I'm I have to be really honest like I'm really honored that you're willing to share this story because like coming from my own space of loss it's it's easy and kind of nice to just offload like bits and pieces but actually sitting down and sharing the whole story and like trusting the other person to be there in that moment with you is a lot so thank you I guess well, thank, and thank you. you for being willing to share it with with the world really <laughs> thank you I know right whoa it's a big big thing uh, okay so I'll start at like the beginning and we can um you can like move me along or whatnot if I'm staying focused on something that is you know that I've maybe stayed focused on too long <laughs> Um, so I was, um, eight months postpartum with Mac and in my head, I'd always wanted to get pregnant at nine months and we're really good at getting pregnant. So that felt like a very easy goal to hit. And I, I came pregnant a month early and I kind of still don't know how we did it. Um, I'm assuming there must've been a night in there that I had a little bit too much wine or something, but, um, and I remember telling my husband and him not being, super excited and that was a really sad place to be in um and to give him like i give him a lot of credit because he was just sharing with me honestly at the time that he kind of wasn't ready for another baby right then but no i don't know that is there ever a situation where a woman looks at a pregnancy test and looks at her spouse and doesn't or power partner and doesn't want anything other than utter excitement you know you kind of are always hoping even if you personally inside are like oh shit you really want them to be like, that's awesome, you know? And so that was, that weighed heavily on me for a while. And so I remember in the beginning of that pregnancy having a lot of guilt and is this the right time and what have I done? And a lot of like kind of um, focused on that and not so much focused on joy. And um, because of my two early miscarriages before I had Mac, I have this like so I have a blood clotting disorder, right? And that's what I've always assumed caused my miscarriages. And so in my head, what was important for my baby was to stick, like not let a clot get between my baby and implantation. And so I would just kind of repeat the mantra of like, stick, baby, stick, stay, baby, stay. And, um, and we kind of always had these like little metrics of, you know, most miscarriages happen at this point and then this point and then this point. So as every week went by, it was a little bit more of like, baby might be sticking baby might be sticking and around I don't know let's say well because I had my early miscarriages and because I had been um antepartum with Mac for a week in the hospital I got to know my doctor really well his name is Dr. Murphy here in bed and so he I would I texted him as soon as I got pregnant oh my god what do I do and um he was like come on and we'll do an ultrasound and I um vividly remember the last time I had my period because I was playing in a volleyball tournament and I was running from the car, pumping in the car, because I didn't have my daughter, to running to the bathroom to change my tampon to running out onto the sand. And my teammate was a high schooler. And I remember thinking, like, ain't this some shit? <laughs> like, oh I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to play as well as her. And I'm pumping and bleeding and Jesus, and hormones. And like, it's fine. It's fine. So like, it was like vividly in my mind that weekend. Um, so I know exactly when I had my last period, but I don't know when I, when I conceived him. And, and so I remember going in and, and telling the doctor, this was my last um, period. I know I had it on this date. Uh, I don't know exactly when it started. So let's just assume it started that date, which I know isn't true, but that'll give us a day wiggle room. And so I would be, let's throw a number out here, Liz, like seven weeks and two days. And he was like, mm, you're more like, I'm measuring the fetus at like six weeks 
five days. I was like, oh, okay, that's sure. Um, then he was like, why don't you come back in a couple weeks? This will make you feel better. And this was before I really had the peace and the mindset practice to let my pregnancy be what it would be and and to try to stay away from unnecessary ultrasounds and such. So I was like, yeah, every two weeks, every, I mean, we could just strap one on right now and just watch it constantly if you want, you know? And so I came back two weeks later. So I would have thought that, okay, so I'm like eight something. And he's like, no, more like seven something. And then I, I remember one of them being a, oh, I'm a 10 something, no nine something. So at least twice my doctor had bumped back my gestational age and um, thought nothing of it. Around 10 weeks or 13 weeks, we did our, um, chromosomal test so you test for down syndromes uh trisomy 18 18 21 i forget the other ones i just know that 18 and 21 are the big ones um and fred and i had already had a conversation about um how we would proceed with with our lives like we just kind of talked about you know not every baby comes out flawless they all kind of come with something and so let's talk about these different things and what life would look like and just we just had conversations like that so that result came back fine and then our said do you want to know what you're having and we said no we don't want to know what we're having and all was well and good and at about the 12 week checkup with my doctor he listened to the heartbeat and baby's heartbeat was super rapid and, um, and so we sat there for a little bit and he was like yeah I'm gonna want you guys to go see the children's cardiologist here in town so to fast forward a little bit we went to them they never saw a problem never saw any like we couldn't get the baby to recreate that issue no problem so we just had to go back in regularly to hear the heartbeat so when we were making those appointments for every week or every two weeks or so um so mind you i had conceived sometime in the month of august so right about like so we're going every two weeks checking the heartbeat nope heartbeat's good nope heartbeat's good every two weeks and sometime in the beginning part of november i went in by myself and my doctor wasn't available but he was one of his um office practitioner mates you know, was a certified nurse midwife named Jessica. And Jessica is very sweet and soft-spoken and walks in and, and it's just like, you just, she's very kind. And she starts talking and she says, and how are you and that little boy today? And I was like, what? And she, and I, what, what? And she looks at me and her face went red from like her chest up, like her whole body went red. Like, like it, I could literally remember seeing it, like it's passing your lips. Now it's going by your nose. And now it's, and, and she goes, I mean, what? And I was like, wait, are, did you, what? <laughs> it was almost comical. And I was like, am I having a boy? And she, she tried to gather herself and say, oh, no, no, I'm not sure. I just, I just, you know, that's just what I was, would say or whatnot. And I was like, Jessica, your body is telling me right now <laughs> that you're telling me a lie. Do you know what I'm having? And she looks at me and she said, it's a boy. And I said, okay. And I lay down and she is still so sweet. And she just said, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I, I've never done that before. And I was like, it's okay. It's okay. But I proceeded to leave that office, get in my car and ugly cry for like 10 minutes. Cause I had vividly remember the beautiful moment when Dr. Murphy had, had held Mac up to me before he handed her the NICU team and said, it's a girl. Like I vividly remember that moment and how special that was to me and how amazing that was to me. And so to have it, just just that moment that moment i had to like that moment got taken away from me i wasn't mad at her at all i mean i was like god damn it but it wasn't god damn it jessica i was just like god damn it so i called back in she said look if you really want to know she's like i won't look again but if you really want to confirm call the office back later so i did i was like i'm calling to confirm because when we look at my test results I'm like yep it's a boy so i called my 
my husband and he was he kind of felt bad for me i called my mom ugly crying and was like mom she told me what i'm having and my mom's like okay and what is it i was like mom you're missing the point i was like i understand you're upset what is it i was like it's a boy and my mom like pulls the phone away and goes it's a boy and i was like oh mom that's what moms are for though right oh my god right like totally brought me back to reality i was like god mom um so before we had um before we found out anything so my daughter goes by mac and my stepson is zach and so as soon as we said we're pregnant my family started calling the baby jack like well clearly it's gonna be zach mac and jack and they were like, well, don't care if it's Jacqueline or Jack a boy, it's gonna be Jack. And so as soon as I was like, it's a boy, mom's like, it really is Jack. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it really is. Thank you, mom, like still crying, you know. Um, I remember announcing to our family at Thanksgiving because we hosted Thanksgiving that year what we were having. So that was kind of like the timeline and whatnot. Um, I remember um, him not, I felt like I wasn't getting as big, like I wasn't getting as big in my belly, but I also remember thinking like, I'm much more conscientious about, like, I'm just being really conscientious about what I eat and not indulging in cravings as much. Um, whereas with Mac, I had a lot more <laughs> craving and kind of like emotional instability. And so I did a little bit more sweets craving and, and for Jack, I didn't. Um, but I definitely noticed like, well, I'm kind of small, but like people are small, babies are different. Like I, you know, everybody, it's no big deal. I remember thinking, um, I didn't really feel him move till later, but I was like, I mean, it's no big deal, right? Like I was probably 17 weeks before I felt him move and he didn't move that much. And I was like, I mean, what do I remember about pregnancy? And, you know, I just kind of went along with it. And of course, right. kept telling myself, he's healthy. We've done the test that they've checked his, they, like everybody's looked at him. He's had a couple of different ultrasounds. He's healthy. And we went to our 20 week ultrasound. And remind me later to tell you about Brian, the ultrasound tech after all this. Um, so we went to our 20 week ultrasound and the gods were looking down on us because my husband wasn't gonna be able to make it. And my good friend, Marcy was like, I'll go with you. And I was like, oh, thanks. And at the last minute, Fred could make it. Otherwise she would have been sitting in on this appointment and would have, would have been really a wonderful soul, but it probably would have traumatized her, you know, as much as it did me. So I'm kind of, I'm grateful that my husband was there. Um, and the tech just was taking a little bit more time and, um, talking to us and stuff but I vividly remember I was 19 let's say 19.6 or 20 and one I was right at the 20 week mark I think I was 20 and one and he and I'm looking up in that little corner of the ultrasound and it says like 18 weeks four days is like the what had baby had measured and I was like that's not good that's not good that's not supposed to happen that way and then he just kept taking a lot more time and he and he finally said um I, baby has a I need to I don't remember if he told us first what was wrong or if he called the doctor first but both of those things happened and baby, he told us that baby had a diaphragmatic hernia. And, um, and I was like, well, okay, well, what does that mean? And he, he kind of, you know, was like, it's up to the doctor or whatnot. I'm like, okay. Um, but basically a diaphragmatic hernia is a hole in the hernia, it is a, excuse me, a hole in the diaphragm. And what happens is that diaphragm keeps the upper organs of the chest cavity apart from the lower organs of the chest cavity. And so in Jack's case, his hole had allowed for his intestines to come up into his upper cavity and it had pushed everything developed at the same time. So the intestines had kind of grown at the same time the lungs were trying to grow and the heart was trying to grow. So his heart was over on the right side of his chest. His left lung was non-functioning. Um, he had a lot of he had a lot of organ issues so we went over to the doctor's office and the doctor said i remember like he must have been at a birth or something because they they were like 
they brought us right back into the room and then the medical assistant or the office manager was like, can I get you some crackers or some juice? And that was like my first alarm going off in my head of like, they're not that nice normally. Like that, that's, why are you being so nice to me? Why are you putting me in a room? Why are you being so nice to me? So I sat there and I started to kind of like, okay, like shit, the baby's sick and Jesus Christ. And you know, just kind of dealing with that. And then the doctor came in and he sat down on his stool and he stood up from his stool and he walked over to me and he gave me a hug and he just was like, you've already had your fair share of problems. This shouldn't be happening to you. And that was the first time I started crying because I was like, oh fuck, something's wrong. Like, fuck, something is really wrong. And um, and he said, you know, the ultrasound here in Bend is not as good in, in Springfield. So I'm gonna try to get you over to Springfield. But if baby makes it, you're looking at First of all, a surgery in while he's still inside of you to try to fix that hernia and possibly most likely a life on a bed, definitely with an oxygen tank. Like he only has one lung right now and and we don't he has some fluid in his brain. Like he's got some issues. And he was just trying to kind of say, if you and Fred haven't already had this conversation about what you what you guys do when somebody brings you this information you should probably start having that conversation and we're like well we've already started that conversation before so thank you but we were there and he goes okay I'm really glad to hear that and let's get you I'm gonna get you an appointment with um I always mess up his name Dr. Balderston Balderstein in Springfield I'm sorry if he's anybody who knows him is listening he's a lovely human being you guys um so that was on a Monday on a Tuesday I went to work (laughs) I mean, the weird shit we do, right? On Tuesday, I went to work and sat down and told my boss, my baby's sick. And he was very sweet about it. I just remember him being like, which one? Like not knowing if I was talking about Mac or, or the baby, baby Jack. And I was like, Jack, and started crying. And Wednesday, we drove over and had an ultrasound at a, at a, a maternal fetal specialist. So it was a much more higher definition. And they noticed that he had some signs of a chromosomal abnormality. Um, the The... Uh, fluid in his head and his neck and his little fingers kind of did this like like crossover like layover sort of thing and the way his little heel was forming was different and um whatnot was all different and and so the doctor came in and basically said that um he wasn't viable which like is so surreal to lay in a bed and have the ultrasound up on the wall and you see their heart beating and then somebody tells you that's not gonna happen. Like it, it's just like, it was so weird. It was so just like, wait, one of you has to shut up for a second because you're not, you're one of you's lying to me. Um, and they said, um, they gave us the opportunity to have an amniocentesis. And, and I, I knew that there was a risk that baby would die in doing that, but I thought if, there isn't a chromosomal abnormality that Fred and I were causing because it immediately made all the doctors, including Murphy, think perhaps, perhaps her two miscarriages weren't actually caused by a blood disorder. Maybe it was a chromosomal disorder and her, and we thought we found it when we found the blood disorder, but really it's a chromosomal disorder. So there was like a, a genuine possibility that there was something wrong with Fred or I um, in chromosomally. And so um, what I was hoping to avoid was an amnio on a future baby. And so I said, yeah, like, let's figure out if we can know exactly what was wrong with Jack. So they did the amnio there. Um, it, it, didn't, it, it didn't end up really being like anything. Like I know that some people say it's really uncomfortable and it's this huge needle and I, it was fine. It was, it was nothing. They didn't get anywhere near him. Um, 
we went and talked to one of their people who were who were kind but like we've talked about before kind of like bereavement services everybody has their specific job but nobody kind of has this like caretaker position of i'm going to help you through it all sort of thing and so her job was just to kind of like talk about how to how to do it how to decide what to do and what each path kind of looked like um she specialized she was like their their I don't know what the word is, but like somebody who like studied genetics and stuff, you know? So, um, we, I remember going back, we got, we got stuck on that side of the valley because that was one of the worst like snow seasons in 20 years in Bend and there was an avalanche on the pass. So we were in a, um, cabin up by where my husband grew up on the Mackenzie river. Um, and I remember Fred bought a bottle of wine and, and like how hard that was for me, like just these little steps of like, okay, yep, that's right. Like, yeah, because um, this isn't happening and it's okay if I have a glass of wine. And of course, like as I'm calling Murphy, he's like, okay, don't, don't drink. Like we, I was, I was also very aware of the fact that drinking at the time probably wasn't a great idea. Like, okay, I, I'm not supposed to get drunk, but I just, I just want to like take a bath and have a glass of wine. Um, and so we, at that point, our options were to let let nature take its course or to terminate the pregnancy ourselves. And um, we opted to terminate the pregnancy. I look back and I think I was not prepared to answer people's comments. Oh, you're expecting, oh, when are you due? Oh, are you? I wasn't ready for that um, communication. And so, and Fred was really uncomfortable with the idea of me waiting for the baby to die i didn't those are his words not mine but that's how he saw it and um and we were i we really tried to both be really careful of saying like we're each on our own journey and neither one of us has to like compromise or or swallow their words to like make the other one feel okay like we both had to keep going so he was able to say those things and i was like oh i hear what you're saying there and i don't really want to I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know that I need to just keep holding on to the baby until the baby dies. I don't have a strong need for that. And at the same time, this was a March, or not March, a December um, 14th that we were over in the valley and my stepson's birthday is December 24th and Christmas was coming up on the 25th. And we literally had no idea whether baby was going to make it another day or another five months at that point, four months, whatnot, and be born. Um, and I was really, really scared that it was going to fall on my stepson's 16th birthday and that, that, that I would traumatize him, that I would just, I mean, his whole life would, that would come up. And, um, it just felt there was nothing keeping me from the decision of inducing labor and having the baby, um, and terminating the pregnancy. I'm, I was raised Catholic. I am, spiritual but not really religious um in the sense of like going to church and stuff and it never once it religion never came into my my thought process and i'm grateful that it didn't for the pluses and minuses it would have bring i'm grateful that i the way that i kind of came to that decision um saint charles and bend is called saint charles and so they have because they were founded by catholic nuns or whatnot they have like specific provisions and like you can't terminated pregnancy after a certain point without some like you know write an essay sort of that's what it felt like I'm sure it wasn't that but the Dr. Murphy basically looked at me and he was like you could basically do this right, right now in the next five days or we would it would take a few more steps to get this done and and Fred and I agreed that we would um 
like to keep the holidays positive and to be able to celebrate the baby and not have this looming over us over the holidays of yeah everything's really great except for the fact that we have this really big event ahead of us in the near near future so we wanted to give time and space to that event and that baby in that moment and then be able to move on and be there for our other babies and and their ways that they needed us um obviously mac had no idea what was going on but zach had an idea of what was going on and so we had to you know really be mindful of him like i said he was almost 16. um and i think honestly i think we told zach that we lost the baby i don't know that i ever told him that it was technically an abortion um because i didn't think that his 15 year old mind maybe was ready for that idea and like clearly like there are grown adult minds that aren't comfortable with the idea so i don't know he doesn't listen to this podcast that i know of but at some point he will and he knows that i don't lie to him about stuff so if he asks me a a question looking for an honest answer i will give him an honest answer so um at the time that we just said we lost the baby and um so i went this is the this is some bullshit on um we decided on wednesday that we were going to go ahead and do that i don't even know what the term for that would be but that we were going to do i knew i was terminating but i also knew that i was inducing labor but i didn't think the baby would live so i guess it was just i was going to have the baby that's what i decided i'm gonna have the baby and they said okay come in at 7 a.m on friday so at like 5 30 we'd get up we could go in we're getting ready to take mac to my parents and they call and they go, we're really sorry, but we had a lot of moms come in and give birth, so we don't have any beds for you right now. And Fred and I hung around the house all day, staring at the phone. It was the longest, worst fucking day of my life. I'm still livid about it. I still can't figure out how they couldn't get that figured out. They're really nice people and all that, but come on. Anyways, about four o'clock they called and were like, we're gonna have a bed for you tonight, go ahead and come in tonight. Okay, so we got ourselves taken care of and one of the hardest moments of the entire fucking process was walking into the family birthing center and I had like a pillow over my belly because I didn't want people to see how small my belly really was because why else would I be coming in here with a small belly other than to lose my baby? And then they ask you all the questions and I felt like people are walking up and down the halls and they're all looking at each other with smiles. Like, did you have a baby today? I'm having a baby tomorrow. Are you having a baby today? And I was just like, don't know. Don't look at me. Don't understand. And they, and they got us to our room and um, we had the sweetest damn nurse ever. Her name's Lacey. She's a friend of mine now. And she played with Mac because at the time I had Mac, I guess it made it easier for me to have Mac there or my somehow with it anyways we had Mac so she was playing with Mac and I felt the need to like I like needed her approval that I was doing the right thing and and just like unloading everything on her and she could not have been more present and holding that space for us and wonderful and kind and explaining everything that was going to happen and how it worked and whatnot and so forever if anybody ever everybody anybody gets Lacey Parks as a nurse you're lucky she's a wonderful human being um so we started I guess misoprostol was all they did um to get everything going for me um to soften and dilate my cervix and they kind of warned me about a couple things Dr. Murphy came in and out and checked on me quite a bit um but they said you know your cervix doesn't have to go to 10 to have the baby 
you he's tiny he might slide out at around four to seven centimeters and so when you um the doctor might not be able to get there you it might just be a nurse nurses often catch these babies and i was like that's fine um i'm ready for that to back the story up of course then we start to have the conversation before all this of what are we what are we going to do like are we going to keep the baby and bury him are we going to cremate are we going to send the baby to an autopsy that was another option of like seeing exactly what was wrong and um all those things and and fred had said he did not want to see the baby and i remember having a conversation on the phone with my sister-in-law and i explained everything to them what was going on and i said you know fred doesn't um, want to see the baby and i wasn't accusing it was just kind of like an informative thing and she said, it's so funny you should say that because your brother told me the exact same thing. He, his, My brother's comment to his wife was, oh my God, how hard are they going to make Jenny see the baby or whatnot? And Brina was like, that's my sister-in-law, was like, why wouldn't she see the baby? Like, I would want to see the baby. And my brother was like, I, don't, I wouldn't want to see the baby. And it was really interesting for us that both females wanted to see the baby and both dads were hesitant to. Um, and my kind of mindset on it all was, I'm I'm still his mother and I've loved him every step of this way and I want to be there for him because he just gets this really, really small snippet of experience on earth and I'm 100% gonna show up and be there for him for that. And however Fred is able to is okay, but just, just be honest about it because Fred has loved him the whole time that he was in my belly. And just because Fred didn't want the, the memories of his children's birth, he was scared that this image of Jack was gonna flash in front of his face every time he went into a labor delivery room or that every time somebody asked him, tell me about the birth of your baby, that he would be like, whoa, hold on, I gotta sort of reprocess this one baby that we lost and, and then talk to you about, about my other babies um so I understood that completely however with the fact that Jack was small the nurses were like so Fred the baby might come really fast you're you're you might have to get out of the room really fast okay Fred says no problem so Fred and my mom and I are in the room and um I'm listening to some like comedy podcast to like distract myself <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm sure people are walking by like, are you fucking kidding me? What's going on in there? Um, and uh, and I just was having regular contractions, like, you know, easy, like, manageable talking in between them, taking any breaths or whatnot. And then I remember, um, I remember, I remember telling Fred, like, oh, they got more intense, call the nurse back. And he said, okay. And as they were getting more, he called her back. She was like, okay, thanks. And at We'd learn later, she was like down at a different computer or something. And she was like, let me just finish what I'm doing. I'll walk back to them. And he got off the phone and I was like, ooh, in bed. And I felt something. And I looked at Fred and said, something is different. Something is different. Call her back right now. And so he called her back and was like, she says something's happening. And, and the nurse apparently, she's like, oh my God, when you called me twice, she's like, shit, the baby's coming. And she comes running down the hall and she's paging the doctor and Murphy's in the C-section. So she puts her fingers um, to check and, and she says, I can feel the, the ba baby, the baby's coming out. And when she removed her hands, the baby kind of came with her, you know, and, and like she kind of cleared the way, that's how tiny he was. And so I was laying in bed with the bag, like, I don't even know how much of the bag, but it felt like two inches of bag protruding from my vagina. Like I was just laying there. And the nurse is like, if you're okay, I'll wait and get one of the doctors on call to come in and help us. And I said, I'm, I'm fine. I mean, like, yeah, like there's nothing else happening now. Um, and who fucking walks through the door, but, but midwife Jessica. And I was like, of course, 
of course and like in a positive way in a totally positive like thank you for not being a total stranger to this late like this pregnancy you were the only other person that i've had any interaction with on this pregnancy and like i felt it just felt right and so i'm laying there and again jessica is literally this like sweetest person on the face of this earth and so she's talking to me and i'm looking at her and i'm an athlete right so i was like what do i do now coach <laughs> and she's like she's like whatever i mean she's talking so quietly liz that fred who's up by my head oh yeah fred by the way so nurse comes in and nurse has her hand in there and she looks at fred and goes baby's coming if you want to go and fred says no i'm okay so far i'm okay okay she says so then baby's like now the bag's out of my vagina nurse looks at fred again and goes fred baby's coming you want to go and he says no i'm okay i'm ready to stay okay so jessica's i've asked her like what do i do now like i had an epidural with mac i'm like is my body going to push this baby out do i push the baby out could somebody just tell me what to do here and i'm thinking like from an athlete coach perspective i'm like could somebody like i need i need to know exactly what muscle to engage lay it out for me coach and she's like and Fred's literally like leaning in over my head, like, what? <laughs> Can't even hear her, what'd she say? <laughs> like she was so soft-spoken and it wasn't a knock on her, but immediately in my head in that moment, I'm like, feels right. You know what I want to fucking do? I want to fucking tuck my baby back up inside of me and go home and get into bed and let him grow to be a full, beautiful, chubby baby. That's what I would like to do. Like, this is, you're asking me the wrong question. I, this is, and that's the moment that I started crying when I was, when I was delivering, I hadn't cried the whole time. And, and I just started, sobbing that I didn't want I don't want to be here I kept telling them I don't want to be here I don't want to be doing this I don't want this to be the moment that I give birth to my baby and but I did and I and I pushed him out but I had to hardly even push and I pushed him out ever so gently and again the universe is smiling on me and he came out in his whole sack um, and they took him over and um, to check on him and whatnot while the doctor just or the midwife just looked at me and, and everything and um she came back over to me and, and she was over there I guess with the baby and she said um he has a heartbeat and there was a part of me that kind of hoped that the trauma of labor would have stopped his heartbeat it would just been a little bit too much for his body um but he he was born with a heartbeat and and I was like, oh, okay, like kind of in shock, okay, and didn't change anything for me. I'll, I'll hold them. I still want to hold them. And she looked at Fred and was like, are you sure, Fred? And Fred's like, yep, so far, so good. I'm still, yep, I'm okay being here. And so she um, put him on my chest, and he only weighed seven ounces, so he's super, super tiny. And he only measured like 18 weeks gestational. So like, I mean, I have my fingers up, let's say like seven to eight inches if you fully stretched him out. Um, so the blanket was like weightier than he was, you know, like trying to maneuver the blanket. But I just remember pushing him real high up on my boobs. He was real close to me and crying. And then Dr. Murphy, when he got done with the C-section came in and I, um, I wanted to ask, I wanted to know everything. I want to know everything. Don't leave me in the dark on anything. So I said, Dr. Murphy, do you mind if I unwrap him and you look at him and you tell me all the parts about him that you see that are different? And um, he was like, yeah. And then again, we all look at Fred, like, Fred, you doing okay? And Fred's like, yep, so far so good. And oh, unwrapped his blanket and the nurse and Dr. Murphy would keep checking for a heartbeat and he still had a heartbeat. And he showed me where his 
brow was a little protruding and his head was a little had the fluid and his feet and his hands and this is so stupid but I have girls and I remember like looking at his little penis and I was like look at that perfect thing like how did everything else get funny made but that thing is look at that thing like it just <laughs> it always sticks out I'm like and he had a perfect little pee pee and <laughs> um but otherwise I mean he was not I think it's really tricky I think that either technically or at some point they've they've they be the medical world has abbreviated what's going on with some of these babies instead of chromosomal abnormalities by calling them deformities because technically he had a deformed foot or deformed finger um uh development but it was not like like a freakish deformity and i think that's what really scared fred that he was like oh my god they're going to show me something that the, the the stuff of nightmares and horror movies are made up and it wasn't it's you wouldn't even know it as a deformity you would just be like oh you mean the way his fingers lay like that or his his heel protrudes or he's got a really big toe which like anything like that um and so deformity is not the same definition to a layperson it is to a you know medical side um so we looked them all over. My mom held them and cried, and I think that was really good for her part, her journey in this. My family has, I mean, I was the first person to have miscarriages in my family. I'm the first person to have, like, I mean, this, so this was, my whole family was processing this experience for the first time, and then let alone happening in our immediate family. So I was, I was happy that my mom was there, able to have her own kind of processing of this. Um, so we're like three hours postpartum and Jack still has a heartbeat. And I'm, um, I think they gave me a stool softener and I'm ready to poop and I'm ready to wipe my legs off a little bit sort of thing. And I looked at the nurse and I said, do you mind if um, you mind holding the baby while I go to the bathroom and I just want to wipe myself off and then I'll come back out, get back into bed and hold him again. And she said, of course. And Fred says, I'll hold him. And we're all like, well, I was like, what? Like you go easy buddy like are you sure and and he's like yeah I'll hold them and so there's a rocking chair in the broom and and Fred sits down the rocking chair and um um yeah has a minute with him Fred doesn't cry Fred Fred has never really cried I mean he's cried since with me but um that's not something that comes like it's it's almost blocked in him a little bit I'm almost like on a negative side he'll say like I can't even cry even when it matters um so I went to the bathroom and I couldn't have been more than five minutes and I'm wiping myself up, kind of cleaning off a little bit of the blood and, and everything. And I come out of the bathroom and the nurse is standing right there and she's really close to me and Fred's behind her on the rocking chair holding the baby. And, and I'm kind of looking at both of them and my eyes are going back and forth. And she says, um, I can't find a heartbeat. And, and I was like, okay, okay. And I look at Fred and he's kind of looking at me like a little bit of like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Why did, you know, like, I think Fred was a little freaked out, like the baby just died when I held him. Why did the baby die when I held him? And I I looked at Fred and I was like, baby waited for you to hold him. Like, he was a soul and he knew and he just was like, dad, I'm gonna hang on here until you, until you just, you just take your time, buddy. You take your time when you're ready, I'm ready and we'll do this. And they did, they did that and like, I will forever believe that like that little soul was older and wiser than us on that day and was like, Fred, like you just take your time, but you're gonna end up holding me. And when you do, you're not gonna have any regrets about not showing up on this day. And so 
It was like the most perfect way I could ever imagine Baby Jack dying. It was awesome. Um, if that's even a possible word in this scenario. Um, so then they, um, we decided not to do an autopsy and I was, um, I think I was postpartum when I finally called, I don't even know like what order of operations this was, but at some point we decided to cremate him and there's some funeral homes in town that will do that, um, free of charge. They'll do it for you. And so I, I didn't put two and two together that I had to leave the, the baby um, to do that. And since then they've gotten cold cots or whatever the cuddle cots, um, at St. Charles here in Bend. I don't know even if baby Jack qualifies for that. I'm sure he would have. I always kind of feel like, does my baby qualify? Um, he wasn't really a baby. He wasn't full term. He wasn't viable. He wasn't all those things, but like, but he was my baby, like whatever he was, I was his mother. Um, and so anyways, we didn't have that option then. And so the nurse was going to take him back to the nurse's station there and, and take care of the body there. And that was so hard. Like, handed him over. Like, he was mine. He was mine. And I know that he was no longer alive. But, like, but nobody's going to take care of him. Like, I'm going to take care of him. Like, what? I, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. I don't want, like, I, I don't want this. That was such a hard moment of, of handing him over and, like, immediately went from, like, thinking of, okay, now I'm on their side. I start, I have to start to heal. Like, nobody forced that upon me, but it was like, well, the baby's no longer here, so... Now I'm starting to live life on the other side of baby. Like it was, even though he was already, already dead, um, him leaving the room was like, it was worse than him dying. It was really hard. Um, so yeah, so that was his birth and I went home and, um, fucking milk coming in is like the worst I just wanted to lay in bed and sleep and just like, but I couldn't get a comfortable position because I had my boobs hurt so bad and I did not pump. I was, I was advised to like bind my breasts and, you know, kind of try to keep it from coming in. And I wish in retrospect that I had pumped and such, but it's fine. You know, it wasn't, that was given, the advice was given with good intention, but it was difficult to ride out. And, um, yeah, we cremated him and having to go pick him up and like the funeral people are super sweet, but you're like, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to look at you. I just, damn, like having to keep talking about it sometimes was really hard or like not knowing on a given day whether you wanted people to make you laugh or immediately hug you and let you cry on their shoulder or share their own story of grief. Like, I wish I had a shirt for every different day of like, hi, I had a loss today. Please make me blank and like cry, laugh, eat, go for a walk, like fill in the blank. Like I want, I need you to help me out here today. Um, so that was hard. I just remember going to the funeral home being like, I don't want to talk about it today. I'm grumpy today. Just give me my baby. Um, and then for like, God, I mean, a, a while, a while he was in on my dresser. Um, probably four months, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, 
we had decided where we were going to put him and and everything and i just it was another really hard transition of again letting him go back to kind of this space that wasn't intimately mine um so so we did we did that and um i wanted he was due april 30th and that was another part i don't think i mentioned that when i got home the night of the original ultrasound i had to i sobbed and sobbed and grieved the baby that wasn't coming um that baby i had i had two separate instances of grief so i had the grief over i'm not having a pudgy baby in april um mac is not having a little brother these clothes i've bought are not happening um all of those that all had to be just thrashed out like the anger and the I just I use the word grief because I just kept letting myself like no it's okay to feel these things it's okay to be mad and sad and like fixate on things that seem really ridiculous and stupid like what summertime pictures would have looked like next year like I I know that that's not but that's really what's bothering me right now so I'm gonna cry about that right now I'm gonna cry about the the this boy loves his mama onesie I bought last week. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking cry about that and give it to my mom and tell her don't throw it away. Don't tell me what you do with it. Just I need to know you need to be taking care of this onesie for a while. Um, that was like grieving that that baby was not coming, and then having a journey with baby Jack with what he like I said he was not a baby. He was not ever gonna be pudgy, crying, living baby and that was an that was those were two separate experiences um yeah so he was so originally the baby was gonna be due april 30th and i remember telling fred i want to be pregnant um i want to be pregnant when that due date comes around i don't know what the fuck i was thinking if i've please mama's listening to this call me and i will help you but um drowning your sorrows in another pregnancy not the healthiest uh, journey but but it's it's a hormonal it's a hormonal thing, right? Like your body is your body is programmed to to have a baby right now, and so you want that at like the deepest primal level. I never wanted to have sex more with Fred than um, after postpartum because because we had gone through this, and I needed him, and I was still postpartum, so I still couldn't have sex for four weeks, and I was I I just. I like on a very primal level was like, oh, I want my husband. Like I need everything that he can give me right now in terms of physical intimacy. I need it and want it all. So I don't know, maybe that was like connected to it also of just like my body. Yeah, no, definitely the hormonal, the brain. I also had this friend who was, um, she was three weeks behind me gestationally. One of my very good friends. And so when I, when I saw her next and I knew it wouldn't, I ended up having, I ended up seeing her at my other friend's house. That's my really good friend, Marcy. It was like the first person I called and told that, that something was wrong with baby Jack. Um, and Marcy was like, you can totally do this in my house. And I saw her and I knew that her belly was the same size baby that I had just held like three days ago. She did not handle the situation in a way that I felt good about. Um, and that was really, that was really brutally hard. And that kind of also threw me into this tailspin of like, the world's not gonna be there for you, Jenny, you have to be there for yourself and what will make you feel better. Um, um, your husband, your baby and another baby. It was kind of that, I think, trio of hormones and needing to sleep with friends <laughs> every day. I don't know why. Um, and then this kind of like, I needed to, I needed to fix myself. Um, 
And that was the only thing that my crazy postpartum grieving brain came up with. And then Grace was a, on top of that, Grace was a miscommunication. Grace was a, well, yeah, I'll be pregnant by the time that, that due date comes around, but we don't have to rush it. No, 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 not today. Not like, oh, there we go. I'm pregnant. That's pretty much how my sweet Gracie came around. So, um, so I was pregnant six weeks after having Jack. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, not, not, I, I can look back on all of that and just see where the little parts of me started to like small little shatters, you know, and, and also for Fred, that was a really, my pregnancy year with Grace was a really hard year. Yeah. So, so that's, that's my baby Jack. How are you doing? <laughs> I like that you ask about me. <laughs> I can't help it. Um, that was a really beautiful story. Thank you. That means a lot. I'm a hot mess over here. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a tendency to um, turn to turn to humor because that's my that's my coping mechanism. So I'm trying not to go there. Um, me too. But I think, um, like we said at the very beginning, everyone's lost story is so different and birth story is so different. Um, but I, I just can't imagine how you guys handled that with like such strength and such grace. And I'm sure it was ugly when you were in it, <laughs> but, um, wow. What an, what an impossible situation. What an yeah. Impossible situation. Yeah, it was, it was, it was like the, the choice between two really shitty options. Right. Yeah. And I appreciated that the options were given to me. I appreciated that that was my, my decision to make. Right. I appreciated that. No judgment for like, they, they probably both would have ended up being really difficult, grieving, moving experiences, but I appreciated that it was up to me to decide. Yeah. Do can I tell you about Brian the the tech? Oh yes, that was in my notes to tell to ask about Brian the tech. Brian the tech. So there I am, pregnant with Gracie. Six weeks later, I te- oh texted I texted Murphy. I was like, I'm fucking pregnant again. And he was like, his I think his response was something along the lines of, "Whoa, you guys are efficient." I was like, it I, wasn't on purpose. I'm not gonna say she was a mistake, but I'm amazed you were ovulating. I mean. Like I'm not kidding you. Like TMI, my best friend knows this. My best friend from college. Her birthday's February fourth, and and that was the date. And I was like, I have to tell you this because it's going to come up every time your birthday comes around. But we conceived Grace on your birthday. She's like, great. She's like, that's awesome. I was like, thanks. But so Jack was born on December seventeenth, and and Grace was February fourth. Wow. Yeah. And I had to have one cycle. I had one period. One period. Okay. Yeah. Insane, right? Like, <clears throat> what was my body thinking? Yeah. Brian the tech. Brian the tech. Sorry. Yeah, Brian the tech. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, so 20, uh, the 19 week ultrasound, 19 weeks. Murph's like, you can go in a week early. Baby will be big enough and we'll, we'll kind of get this out of the way because I know this is looming. Of course it was looming. And it was Brian. And um, he remembered us and we laid there. And Brian's, um, I'm going to go with like mid to late 40s. Brian has two kids that are like 20 and 19 or 20 and 21 at this point. So, you know, mid to late 40s. Um, guy and he uh like he's like a super dry sense of humor and um 
so he's ultra like he's you know swishing all around he's like i'm just gonna do a cursory one and let you know that everything's okay and then we can go into the details and i was like perfect so he's doing a cursory one and whatnot and then he stops and he looks at me and he says you want to know what the favorite part of my job is and i was like okay and he starts to cry and he says the favorite part of my job is when i get to tell parents who've had a loss that they have a healthy baby and you guys you have a healthy baby Fucking Brian. God damn it, Brian. God damn it, Brian. You soft <laughs> son of a bitch. It was awesome. It was so awesome. So if anybody's going to um, Central Oregon Radiology for an ultrasound, <laughs> dick with Brian. I want to go there. <laughs> I know. I know. It's awesome. So I love, I love me some Brian. That was, that was pretty moving. It was a yeah. wonderful moment. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Grace is, Grace is a beautiful and perfect baby. She is. She is. She is. <laughs> She's funny. She makes me laugh. Yeah. You know, I can't wait. Do I get to see her again this year? No, probably not at Summit, huh? No, no. Um, no, but we'll have to, I mean, I'll just have to bring her over or something. Yeah. Especially in the summer. We'll yeah, go back and forth, let the girls play yeah. with each other. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. So is there anything that, like, I didn't hit that? Um, I mean, I if you're okay I with it, do you yeah. want to dive into some of the nuance around some of the language that you use? Oh my God, yes. Yes, please. Tell me everything. <laughs> Let me put on my, you know, academic hat here. Okay, here we go, everybody. And nuanced. Now. <laughs> um, I think like one of the, one of the many reasons that we were talking about sharing this story was um, because of, is it, I think it was New York, right? That passed the, the late term abortion. Is that... Am I saying this correctly? Yeah, yeah. They, they basically put some abortion laws on the books that were already nationally, you know, federally legal, but they wanted it, um, I believe, on their books and, and clarified at a state level. And so, um, which included some late-term abortion, right? You know, discussion, um, and that and that brought the term late-term abortion into a national spotlight. And right. Late-term abortion kind of um, is a misnomer anyways. It'll be really nice right off the bat to let everybody know that um, late-term is, is an invention of anti-abortion extremist kind of thing. You know, they like to like simplify it. Well, it's late-term, um, but the medical way of referring to it is simply abortions later in pregnancy because late-term make... A late-term pregnancy is one that's past 40 weeks, right? We're not talking about a 40-plus week abortion. Oh, my God. Right, we're talking about a, an abortion later in pregnancy, um, second trimester, third trimester is more what that. It's not even a specific definition. That's why it's a, a, a improper term to use. Yeah, and I think we need to unpack the like the. So you and I are both raised Catholic, right? So mm-hmm. abortion is an extremely loaded term um, for for I assume both of us. But, um, yeah. I feel like it's sin number one in a lot of ways. Oh, like, totally. It's, it's, it's all you hear about. It's, it, and it's treated like a black and white issue. Um, and I think the, the thing that, you know, I had a lot of people that I um, am friends with from <clears throat> high school. I went to Catholic high school. Um, make some really, like, just kind of heartless comments about the New York um, law. That or the, the what, what is a bill? Sorry, my brain is all foggy now. Sorry, New York. I know, right? I think it's a law, right? I mean, I guess maybe law is the wrong word. Right. You keep talking. Um, Let me see if I can yeah. find it. Okay. <laughs> but basically, they described it as as murder. 
right? As people going in and deciding at, you know, 35 weeks that they no longer want to be a parent. And what I hope that our listeners understand is that (laughs) that is 100% not what's happening here. Um, And regardless of when during pregnancy you choose if you need to terminate for whatever reason, and I'm talking about early, late, whenever, it's not a decision that's taken lightly. I think people treat it like a, man, should I, you know, get that Starbucks coffee cup of coffee or not? Should I get the abortion or not? No. Right. Or this idea that it hasn't, that you, you just kept kicking the can down the road and you didn't want to make the decision earlier. So you just kept putting it off. And now this law allows you to keep putting it off even longer. Right. It's, I don't, I don't think it's something that people came to at 21 weeks and were like, or 20 weeks and were like, Oh God, I keep putting this off, but now I really have to think about it. Do I want this baby or not? Right. And that's, nobody's making that decision. <laughs> like, I don't think anybody in any situation is taking abortion lightly. No. And if, and if they are, then there's deeper issues at hand that, that they're maybe projecting like they are. Right. Uh, but I don't think, I don't think anybody's taking it lightly ever. And, and I could be 100% honest when that, when that issue first came into the media, I had just lost Elliot. And all I could think was, oh my God, people don't want their babies. Please give them to me. <laughs> because that's what I was seeing in my newsfeed. And then I had to take a step back and go, hold on, Liz. Like, who, this, isn't, this isn't what's happening here. These are tiny little souls that, aren't, that weren't going to make it Earthside, right? Um, or a, think- a variety of other god-awful scenarios that makes everyone uncomfortable. And- it does. There, there are instances, I mean... The law cannot, I know in some states, the law says, you know, it's, they, they want to make it illegal if the baby is viable. Um, and so that's generally speaking in some states about 24 weeks. And, and if, like I said, baby is, is viable. So they, there are those, those rules, but in some states they don't make those rules. So there are those instances where people are choosing to terminate a pregnancy where there's a healthy baby and I am with you I'm like hand me your baby I will help you what's going on there's but but just like what we're saying right now there's something else going on there and so even though nobody wants to see a beautiful healthy baby terminated um, we can't look at at just that moment and attack the players in that moment without taking a step back and going where what's going on regionally in this person's life what's going on like with their family life their maybe drug history their I mean it's so many things right and so even in the remote chance that it is a totally viable healthy baby to come out swinging at somebody in that situation seems really short-sighted like really like elementary like could you have I don't know thought a little deeper about it or done a little bit more research before coming out like that um but yeah a lot of the time what you're what we're talking about are people in my situation who are talking about a a non-viable baby or a baby who's going to be on significant um what do you call it you know what they're alive but they're all living a machine essentially life support right Yeah, yeah 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 So, yeah, and, and, and possibly a lot of pain. Yeah. Right. Right. 
and again, and like an impossible, an impossible decision, right? And I think what I um, what I love about your story is um, you got to meet your baby, right? Totally, and it wasn't something I was expecting, and it's been yeah. something in retrospect that I was like, oh, I, I got to hold him while he was alive. He lived for for four That's hours, three hours. Gift. Such a gift. Sorry. No, no. Um, and if I think about it, you know, those um, those are the moments I remember, that, that immediate postpartum. So that was a gift that this situation gave to me. Right. And to him. Yeah, right? Yeah. He got to be held by dad. <laughs> he did. And grandma. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. like, that's such a gift for, for all parties. Totally. Yeah. It's, um, it's not a heartless decision. There was a lot of pain and, and grief and hand wringing and tears that went into it. And in the end, it was people, a mom, a dad, a a medical provider who wanted to make this the, the best, best is like the wrong word, like the most loving experience that it could possibly be um i just feel that that maybe is what's missing from a lot of the discussion about this is are people coming from it from a place of love or are they coming from a place of judgment and assumptions and and fear you know i respect that people are scared that perfectly healthy babies are being terminated when there are loving families that would take them. I, I totally understand that. I, I That scares me too, but I can't let that um, rule. I can't let fear rule my decisions. Right. Yeah, and I think you and I have also talked about this need to take the term abortion and really break it down because not everything is the same thing. I mean, how can you compare... Um, how can you compare the myriad of uh, quote unquote abortion options um, to to each other? How is that? How how is my experience even comparable to somebody who walks in um, to a doctor's office at six weeks and says, "I don't want to keep this pregnancy"? Like right. that's not even comparable. Why are we calling them the same thing? Right. I mean, m- mine's closer to birth than it is to what that person experienced. So. I think that also like how you and I were raised, they got to lump everything under this term abortion it's and it became like one roof. Yeah. yeah this, it became like this evil umbrella of things. And now it's kind of clouded our ability to see these, these things for what they possibly could be, you know, a chance for, for me to um, have my experience in the most loving, compassionate environment possible. Right. And hopefully for other mamas too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All that. I don't know if you're aware also, and this might be, um, this might be too much. I don't know if people are aware of this, but you know, the, the baby's world, the baby, Jack's world was a water world. Right. And had I waited for my body to, for him to pass away on his own, um, he, my body would have immediately started to help in the let's call it um death process of jack 
you know, this, this decay process of Jack. And so my birth, um, not only would the actual act of birth be a lot different, going into labor on my own, would the placenta have come out all with the bag and everything, et cetera, which leads to more complications. Um, but the baby himself would no longer have been a baby, even though he was only an 18 week baby. And that was a gift that modern medicine gave me. And I am incredibly grateful for that gift. So that was another factor that um, helped me. It helped me have a lot of peace of, of mind to hold my baby. And my grandmother had a baby that, um, I don't know the details. I, I should really ask her about this. She's my step-grandmother. And so there's a little bit less of that kind of like, hey, grandma, tell me all your details. But she had had a stillbirth and her baby had um, passed away at, at eight months, I guess. And she had to carry the baby until term. Um, obviously at that point too, it would not have been a lot of like, you know, Barbara, how would you like this to go? Like the medical, it became right. a medical intervention, you know? Um, but I think that that still probably weighs, weighs on her, yeah. on, on for that baby for her. So I'm grateful that modern medicine has given us a different chance than our grandmothers. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that that process that's something that they had warned me about as well. In terms of like, you can either let you know, and and for for me, Elliot had already passed, but mm -hmm. um, like you can let nature take its course. But know that, like your body works quickly, but labor may not kick in. Mm -hmm. um, and so, just the opportunity to meet my baby and see how beautiful he is. Same with you and Jack. It's just such a. It's. Yeah. And I think that's you know something I would like to point out because I don't think that people understand when you lose a baby during pregnancy you still have to give birth right and people forget that um at least when when you lose when you lose a baby as far along as as you were and as and as i and as i was um you you still have to go through or get to go through depending on the day how i feel about it <laughs> through the that that labor and delivery process it's not like baby just magically disappears and you know you you go to work on Tuesday. Um, Nobody becomes unpregnant. You don't become no, unpregnant. No. No. You have a loss or you become a mother. Yeah. You're always a mother. Yeah. Right. You are once that yeah, once you're pregnant you are. Um, so I think that's that's important if you're interacting with somebody who's had a loss. You know, understanding that there's also a birth story and that birth story for them is probably you know the end of a relationship rather than the beginning mm -hmm. um, you know in our in our birth fit postpartum series when we're encouraging mamas to share birth stories and share birth stories I um like his birth story is in my brain when I'm thinking of birth stories. Like it's still a birth story to me. It's yeah. it's just as much as my girl's birth story is to me. And where somebody would, I'm sure people on the outside looking in would, would that might not ever occur to them, but I've had three births. I've had three babies. Mm. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's forming of who we are as mothers and who are what our birth stories when we think of the word birth story or labor or postpartum 
or pumping or all those things. It's it now has become woven into that just as our other babies are. Right. Yeah. Just approaching that time with compassion. Compassion for yourself or compassion with whoever you may be interacting with who are yeah. expecting that. Yeah. Another thing with the the quote unquote, you know, the abortions later in pregnancy, um, the CDC says that I think it's less than 1% of abortions happen after 24 weeks. And the majority of those are usually because of some fetal abnormality. So it's really interesting to me that um, what we're talking, and I should say fetal, fetal abnormality, a condition that was not detectable earlier kind of what I'm referring to is why right. those are happening. And you, I think in your notes you say like a severe malformation of the brain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like or because or because mom's life is in serious risk. Yes. Is another reason. Yes. Another reason. And generally I believe in those situations, you know, the twenty four weeks is kind of where that viable uh, question mark happens. And so that's when moms become really monitored and doctors really do their best if it's at risk to mom. Right. To help the baby live and whatnot. Um so yeah, so it's less than 1% of abortions. It's less than 1.3 of all abortions happen after 21 weeks. So there's that little, you know, three week window where babies are not viable. Um, and yet still in this conversation of the term abortion, the umbrella term abortion of all that covers, the discussion has been about this term, late term abortion. Right. And we're attacking these women who are having what's probably the worst experience of their life. Like, yeah. I wouldn't, if somebody says, what's the worst experience of your life? Well, Jack was not all wor- horrible. So please don't say that he was the worst experience. But the, the saddest thing that I wish I could undo was, yeah, losing a baby. So we're taking this discussion, this umbrella discussion of abortion and talking about this little sliver of people who happen to also be a sliver of people that are suffering greatly. Right. Why is that why is our focus, everybody? Because here's the truth is like, everyone is already going to have a shit ton of mom guilt. Like, it's just, looking back at pregnancy, like there's, there's always the question, even if you have a healthy baby, (laughs) the end of it, like what, what did I do wrong? If something goes wrong, you know, it's instantly that, that was instantly my question. It's like, what did I do? Right, and and the same answer is for you, and and it's the answer is the same for you and for me. Nothing, you did nothing wrong. No, but to have this language out there that makes it sound like you didn't want this beautiful baby that you so clearly loved, mm-hmm. when you probably wanted that baby. You know, you definitely you wanted that baby more than anything in the world. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who works in labor and delivery so she was talking to another labor and delivery person and and my friend says i'm really early but i'm pregnant and oh my god i'm so excited about it and the co-worker replied with um something along the lines of you better be careful that's how miscarriages happen being too excited loving the baby too much oh my fucking god she worked in labor and delivery yep yeah so you cannot love your baby too much Nope. You cannot hope for your baby too much. You cannot talk about your baby too much or pray for your baby too much. You are doing everything right. It is nothing. We did nothing. Yeah. We did nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. Nothing. Miscarriages are not because you did too much of something or too little of something. It's not how that happens. Jesus. 
Yeah, right? That was that one got me heated. <laughs> yeah. Well, understandably. Yeah. She works in labor and delivery. <laughs> I know, I know. Come on. Um, yeah. I think probably in a future episode, but I probably selfishly, but personally, yeah. I would love to hear about your, um, your experience with Grace's pregnancy. Yeah. Experiencing pregnancy after loss. Um, because I know, well, we know that one in four women will experience loss of some time of some kind. Um, and that statistic is not meant to scare people, but just to know that you are not alone. <laughs> Um, that somebody you're will, not broken. You're not broken. That it's it's just something that happens. Yeah. Um, so, but then having to navigate subsequent pregnancies is is well, all the more of a challenge. Yeah, I would I would be happy to share my learnings along that journey um, for sure. I often think back to the part that that Jack had a the amniocentesis came back that he had a chromosome abnormality in I think 15. I, I know you're probably thinking like, how does she not know this by heart? But it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, whatever yeah, that means. Yeah, geez, Jenny, why don't you know, know all this by heart? <laughs> Sorry, let me tell you exactly. He had a he had this really rare thing where one of the, the chromosomes are like supposed to be sticky. So instead of sticking to themselves, the one that came from me and the one that came from Fred, one of ours made a ring and that's, that's where it went wrong. But um, so remember my mantra in the beginning of like stick, baby, stick? Like my mantra for Grace was do what you need to do, do what you need to do. Cause part of me thought, did I, did I mantra my way into, you know, this baby, my, my body should have let go of that baby a long time ago. But I was like, the most important thing is the baby sticks. And now the lesson I learned was no, the most important thing is that my body does what it's supposed to do. It knows. Right. It but you knows. got to meet that baby and you got to yeah. connect with that baby for 20 weeks. Totally. And he changed my life. He, yeah. he completely changed my life. And, and right. so I believe that his journey in my body and the th four hours, three to four hours on earth with me were um, explicitly designed. Like I, I trusted that whole part of that journey. I'm so grateful for it. Right. So grateful. And I just, every once in a while, I just wish I could hold him again. Yeah. I just want to hold him. He didn't even have to grow up. I could just keep holding him that size. <laughs> yeah. So, fingers count the toes <laughs> totally totally and I did not get pictures of him um I think at the time because I didn't know that Fred was going to be okay with it it was like what am I going to do have these pictures that Fred knows are in the house and you know um but knowing now that I could have just had somebody take the pictures and they could have held on to him and whatnot probably would have been really lovely so you know the things you learn but I did I, I did get to hold them right that's good yeah yeah Oh, sweet woman. I am so thankful for you and for you sharing this story. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a lot more common than, than, um, than we might actually think there's probably people all around us all the time that have had a, a similar experience of loss yeah. of tough decisions with, when it comes to their babies and their bodies and whatnot. So absolutely just coming, coming from a place of love and, um, understanding that that umbrella term of abortion, I don't think anybody approaches with any sort of flippancy or no, no, absolutely not. No, no. So, so that's my Jack. Oh, sweet baby Jack. Sweet baby this episode Jack. is for Jack. It's for Jack. <laughs> yeah. All right, love. Well. 
love. I love. I love you so much. Thank you. Hey friends, um, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Beyond Birth Podcast. I know that was um, a heavy episode, but again, I hope that you found it healing and empowering and enlightening and all of those things. Um, I also want you to know that if you or someone you know is experiencing any sort of pregnancy loss that Jenny or myself or actually any BirthFit regional director is equipped with um, an infant loss plan and um, they do not have to go through that process alone. Um, And all you have to do is shoot us an email or a message um, wherever you can find us and we can help kind of ease that process. Um, I mean, it's never easy. Not by any means, but um, we can be there to hold a hand either virtually or in person um, and walk through that process with them. Um, Yeah. So again, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back again next Thursday. Um, If you like what you're hearing, if you want more people to hear what we have to say, we would so appreciate it if you would subscribe and rate and leave us a review, especially in iTunes that helps us get out into the world and reach other awesome mamas like you.